Some teach the war in heaven occurred millions of years ago. Others teach it occurred at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. There are even some that claim the devil and demons became earthbound at the time that the gospel first went forth. Well, we will analyze this event and answer many questions concerning the war in heaven on this edition of End of the Age. The next couple of end of the age segments will be pretty much Bible study 101. We're talking about the war in heaven. It's mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, and it foretells a time when Satan will be confined to the earth. No more access to heaven. When did this happen? And what are the details provided in Scripture? Now, I could have taken the easy way out and proved that the war in heaven um, happened after the Garden of Eden because Satan still had access to heaven in Job chapter 1. You remember Job chapter 1, verse um, 6 through 8. It says, Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Satan still had access to heaven at that point. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? In other words, where'd you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and he said, Well, I've been, I'm, I come from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Well, have you considered my servant Job? And then, of course, you know the story of Job. But Satan still had access to heaven at that point. He had to give an account to the Lord. But that might still leave some questions, so I thought I would give a a little more detail here, because, again, we're talking about the the war in heaven, the timing, um, some events that would surround that, and what's the results of that. And many people are interested. I I know a lot of you guys are teaching Bible studies and uh, ministering in your pulpits and um, teaching Sunday school classes and all kinds of different things, and you want answers to these. So I wanted to kind of clear this up today. The war in heaven is a future event. <clears throat> now, let me explain. Revelation chapter 12 is the beginning. Now, you understand the, the structural elements of the book of Revelation. Seven seals, seven vials, uh, seven trumpets. There are different accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. There's also the account of the simultaneous harvest in Revelation 14. So Revelation chapter 12 is the beginning of the third account of the second coming of Jesus in the book of Revelation, which culminates in Revelation 14. So, with that in mind, 
Let's first look at the woman with 12 stars because this all sets up around this war in heaven here. The woman with 12 stars about her head found in Revelation 12, verse 1 through 2. It says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with, great, with child cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Now, the, there's some controversy here, but not if you know Scripture. The woman here with the 12 stars around her head is the nation of Israel, and the 12 stars symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I know that there are some that teach that the woman here is Mary with the 12 stars around her head, um, but that's simply that's a, that's a misinterpretation of Scripture here. The woman with 12 stars around her head is Israel. Another picture that uses this same symbolism about Israel is found in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. And it says, And he, Joseph, dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So in Joseph's dream, the sun and the moon represent his father and mother, and the eleven stars were his eleven brothers. So adding Joseph himself equals the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, So from this scripture, we know for certain that the woman with the sun and the moon and the twelve stars is a symbol of the nation of Israel. And you'll see this more as we go down through this chapter. But let me interject another passage here. Look, uh, I want you to look now at what? Revelation 12, 7. Just for a moment, because it talks about a, a, a war in heaven. And it says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his archangels um, fought against, Mike, uh, against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. So this is a parallel of Scripture. And it's, there is a parallel, I should say. And it's located in the book of Revelation, um, written about 96 A.D. And the same incident was recorded 700 years prior in approximately 600 B.C. by Daniel. In Daniel 12.1 it says, And at the time, it's talking about the same thing here as Revelation 12, but we're in Daniel 12. And at the time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So Michael is standing up and fighting against the dragon, both in Revelation 12:7 and back in Daniel 12, 1. And then Revelation 12 refers to the beginning of a war in heaven that begins the Great Tribulation. So, Daniel 12 is talking about the same event. The passage uh, was addressed by Daniel, a Jew, and it is a, it's referring to the Jewish people 
and to the time called the Great Tribulation. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus uses almost the exact same terminology when He talks about a time of tribulation such as never has been before, nor ever again shall be. And so we're talking here about the war in heaven. And it's talked about more than just Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 gives the most, really the most detailed account. But if you go back to some of the other passages in Daniel 12 and Matthew 24, it's talking about some some of the same time periods and referring to the same thing here. Give us a full perspective. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time Message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, You can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. So we're talking about the time of the Great Tribulation. Daniel 12.1 continues to say that God's people will be delivered. The reference to thy people refers to Israel. The Bible says that the dragon made war against the woman, Israel. And the woman clothed with the sun, remember, is a symbol of the nation of Israel. Now, if so let, let's continue by going back to um, Revelation 12.2. I've only been through one verse here, Revelation 12.1. So in Revelation 12.2, Israel is travailing... To have a child. John reveals what happens next. He says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail 
drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. That's Revelation uh, 12, 3 through 4. So, the dragon with the seven heads and ten horns is symbolic of Satan himself. It tells us that um, plainly later in uh, verse 9. So, the dragon stood before the woman, Israel, to devour the child that was about to be born. So, this is an account of the birth of Jesus. The account, the child that was going to be born was Jesus, and this account depicts Israel giving the world its Messiah. Revelation 12.5 foretells the birth of Jesus. It says, and, he, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Remember that statement, with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. So the man-child was Jesus. Do you remember in Revelation 19.15, it states that Jesus is the one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron when He comes back at the second coming. Now, it's interesting that Satan attempted to kill Jesus at the time of His birth, but God preserved Him. The man Christ Jesus was ultimately caught up to God and to His throne, right? This was all prophecy here. So, that brings up a question. Did did Satan try to kill Jesus as soon as he was born? Absolutely he did. You remember when Herod the Great attempted to kill Jesus as soon as he was born? Uh, um, Remember the story about the wise men who came to the east, or I should say from the east, because they were told the king of the Jews had been born. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they went to Herod's palace, thinking, hey, surely that he would know where the king of the Jews had been born. But then Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, it records what happens next. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, and they said, hey, where is he that is born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So God had given these gentlemen a a supernatural sign of a star which led them to Jerusalem. Well, when Herod heard about the king of the Jews being born, well, he was beside himself. And his reaction is found in Matthew verse, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, When Herod the king had heard of these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with, with him, you know, and wondering, hey, why is he troubled? Because he was the king of the Jews. And the thought that a child was born to replace him did not make him very happy. You can only imagine. Well, then verse 4 tells us what Herod did next. It says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. The chief priest answered 
that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And their response is found in Matthew uh, 2, verse 5 through 6. The Bible says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The place of the birth of Jesus has been foretold 500 years prior in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. So Herod pretended that he too desired to worship the newborn king of the Jews. Matthew 2, 7-8 says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, You go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. Of course, Herod did not want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. Now, Herod, of course, plots to kill Jesus. I mean, after the wise men left Herod, Matthew chapter 2, verse 9-10 through 10 tells us what happened next. It says, And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When the the wise men found Jesus, they worshipped him. Matthew 2, 11-12 records this incredible scene. It, It says, And when they were come into the house they saw the young child with Mary and um, his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when they warned of, and, and, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country from another way. So when Herod realized the wise men were not going to return to disclose where they had found the Messiah, he began plotting to kill Jesus anyway. He gave the order that all children two years old and under in Bethlehem, that whole area, that they should be killed. However, an angel appeared to Joseph, the the earthly father of Jesus, And he warned him about this plot, instructing him to escape. The events are recorded in Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 14. The Bible says, And when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Hey, arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, Joseph took the young child and Mary by night and departed into Egypt. So when Herod's horrible slaughter of children was being carried out, Jesus and his parents were safely in Egypt. You know, it's good to know God is always one step ahead of Satan, right? He's actually many steps ahead of him. But man, what a... What a um, What a peace that that gives me as a follower of Jesus Christ 
seeking to be spirit-led with a daily prayer life and daily devotions and uh, leading a Christian walk, that I don't, I don't have to worry about Satan and his vices. That I can look to Jesus and He will lead and guide me and navigate me through perilous times that are ahead with a hedge of protection around me because I am one of His children. Just like He did Jesus with Joseph and Mary. Hey, Herod's coming to kill him. Go to Egypt. And they were spared. So Joseph and Mary lived in Egypt until the death of Herod. In Matthew 2.15 it says, "And um, And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And, of course, the prophecy spoken here was given in the Old Testament in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they stayed in Egypt for quite a while. Okay, well, how did they live? How were they supported? Well, it's very likely they were supported by the gifts of the wise men. That's possible. God made provisions for them. The Bible says their gifts were treasures. And they did not bring inexpensive gifts, right? These were wealthy men. And they brought their treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Undoubtedly, those gifts helped sustain Joseph, Mary, and Jesus during their time in Egypt. Now, all of the above events that I've talked about fulfilled what was spoken by John when he was told that the dragon stood before the woman to devour her child as soon as he was born. Now, something very important here in Revelation chapter 12. You'll see as we go down through here, we're talking about the birth of Jesus. And you you say, well, I thought we were going to talk about the war in heaven. Well, you need to understand really what's going on here, the dynamics of this chapter and how we'll come to a certain point in this chapter where we're going from one verse to another, we're going to jump 2,000 years. And this happens at other times in Scripture. But if you're just reading down through here and you're trying to figure all this out and you don't understand the leap, then you're going to get messed up, right? Now, I've discussed the events of the first five verses in Revelation chapter 12. But look closely. Because we're going to skip um, 2,000 years. And there's 2,000 years between Revelation 12, 5 and Revelation 12, 6. The scripture says, And and, um, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And then it says this in the very next verse, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's Revelation 12, 5 and 6. So you can see right here we jumped 2,000 years. How do we know we jumped 2,000 years between verses 5 and 6? Well, verse 6 says, Satan will persecute the woman for 1,260 days. When we see this number in Bible prophecy, 
every time that I'm aware of, it always refers to the final three and one half years immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. In verse 6, we begin the final three and one half years to the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is why when you're, when you're trying to teach on the war in heaven, you need to understand the entire book of Revelation 12 on. You need to know who the woman is with 12 stars and all the different prophecies. This will help you as you lay out this entire chapter. So the remainder of 12, from chapter 12, verse 6, happens during the final three and one half years. And this really helps us to understand the timing of the war in heaven. Now that's the question we're asking here, right? Because you've got to understand the beginning of the chapter to verse all the way 1 through 5. Then you understand the 2,000 year leap into the final three and one half years. Then immediately it starts talking about the war in heaven in verse 7. So now you you see how we're tying all this together, right? And this is how we can prove that it's a future war that will happen in just the very near future from us. At this point, Satan still has access to heaven. So Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says, And there was a war in heaven. Now remember, we're in the final three and one half years. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There's, there's no question concerning the identity of the dragon. This verse says the dragon is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So Satan attempts for three and one half years before the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ to overthrow God in heaven. This is an angelic war, which happens when Michael and his archangels lead the armies of heaven and they make war against Satan and his angels. Remember, this is the same thing that's talked about back in Revelation 12, starting with verse 1. And Jesus also talked about this time, this time of great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. All of these things tie together. So when you're trying to answer the question, when is the war in heaven? You know how to prove that it is the... It happens right at the beginning of the final three and one half years before the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. Isn't the Bible the most precious book we have on the earth? Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end-time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. When you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99, you can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, 
End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. Now, here's a question for you that has baffled many. And when it concerning the, the war in heaven, why does Satan attempt to overthrow God this one last ditch effort to overthrow God in heaven? There are many scriptures that talk about Satan wanting to exalt his throne above God and, and different things. Satan has always sought to usurp the authority of God. Well, right here at the war in heaven, why does Satan attempt to overthrow God? Because he knows that his time is short. He realizes he is getting ready to go to the bottomless pit in three and one half years. So, hey, why not go for broke? He launches this last-ditch effort to avoid the bottomless pit. In this war, thankfully, Satan is defeated. His punishment for this ultimate act of rebellion is to be banished from ever appearing in heaven before God again. Again, today, Satan still has access to heaven. Up until this time, Satan has still been allowed to appear before God. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Did you know Satan is the accuser of the brethren? An example of this is found again Remember, we go back to Job. Back in the Old Testament, in the days of Job, Satan appeared before God and God asked him, Hey, Satan, what have you been doing? And he replied that he had been walking up and to and fro in the earth. And God asked him if he had considered his servant Job. And Satan answered, Well, yes, I have considered him. I mean, but you've got a hedge around him and I can't get to him. And are you thankful for the hedge of protection that God has around you? I mean, what a calming, uh, peaceful experience that we have knowing that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. If you're serving God to the best of your ability, you're a Christian, God loves you, and He's going to keep His hands. The Bible says He encamps His angels about them that fear Him. Satan could not get to Job because God had a hedge of protection up around Job. Satan could do nothing to Job but what God allowed it to happen. And you and I should both be very thankful for that hedge of protection, right? So Satan said, well, hey, you've got a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to Job. God brought up Job to Satan, you know. 
And Satan said, well, you blessed him so much that he, that, uh, and that's the reason that he serves you. He would not serve you if, um, if not for all the wonderful blessings that you've given him. If you take that hedge of protection down, I'll make him curse you to your face. Job, this is Job chapter 1, verse 7 through 12. Now, of course, we know the rest of the story, how Job endured horrible trials and tribulations. And yet he remained steadfast in his love for God. And, and again, this is another, we've all looked to Job at times, right? During times of a trial and thought, wow, I don't even know why I'm going to do this. But God allowed Satan to try Job. Maybe he wanted to know if, God, if Job loved him more than all of his possessions. I mean, there's probably many reasons why. I don't question God. But it's very important that we understand that God will allow us to go through some things too. Not because He doesn't love us. But the Bible says that we will come forth as gold tried in the fire. So wow, have there been times when I read the story of Job over and over again, right? And I'm sure many of you have. However, Satan has been the accuser of the brethren from the beginning of the human race. And that's going to continue until three and one half years before the battle of Armageddon, when this war takes place. Revelation 12.10 says uh, that when Satan loses the battle and he's bound to the earth, John said in Revelation 12.10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. So those that are in heaven, I mean, they're happy. Satan is out of here. And, you you know, Satan's main job is to accuse you and me and to bring guilt and condemnation on us. I mean, he's been been doing it for about, what, 6,000 years now, right? However, he's going to be cast down and confined to the earth for the final three and one half years. Okay, Now, it's important to understand that we can overcome Satan, even if he's bound to the earth. There will be, the greatest time of revival is prophesied for that time. So we can overcome Satan. During the 6,000 years of human history, what happened to God's people uh, under the heat of this accuser, Satan himself? The Bible says, and they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's the next verse, Revelation 12, 11. We have two weapons against the accuser of the brethren, against Satan. And we have a defensive weapon and we have an offensive weapon. The blood of Jesus Christ is our defensive weapon against this accuser. There is nothing Satan can inflict upon you and me that the blood of Jesus cannot eradicate. His blood is the cure for all sin and all things that are satanic in our lives. We can overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. When we place our sins under the blood, they are banished and gone forever. Now, I know that I can't even comprehend that in my finite mind. But the Bible tells me that, and if the Bible says it, I'm in. 
Because I'm a full believer in the Word of God. So they overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and also by the word of their testimony. Our testimony is our offensive weapon. This is how we go forth and conquer Satan. This is how we defeat him. Bringing others out of his kingdom and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Think of this. When we witness to someone about what Jesus Christ did for us, then this lets them know that he will also do, he will do the same thing for them. Satan's number one tool against God's people is guilt. When you, do, you make a mistake, you, you do something wrong in the heat of a moment, and Satan immediately comes to you with guilt. And you think, oh, God hates me. He's got a, uh, my father-in-law used to say, uh, a billy club in one hand and a, and a bull whip in another. That's not God. Satan comes to you with guilt, a Christian individual, and he just starts hammering you. You've sinned. You're going to hell. You, you messed up. You had a thought you shouldn't have had, uh, you know, something. And you're, you're going to hell. But our defensive weapon is the blood of the Lamb. Because the Bible says, blessed is he to whom God will not impute sin. You make a mistake. You're living in an, a, a repentant mindset, a repentant life, and you, you get down and you say, God, forgive me. I've got my compass pointed in your direction. I got off a little bit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get right back on track and keep on going. Get on your knees, repent, get up and keep on going. The Bible says there is therefore now what? No condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, right? So don't let Satan rack your mind with guilt over a mistake that you did 20 years ago and Satan's still hanging that over your head. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the, their offensive weapon, the word of their testimony. It's very, very important that we understand this. Now, wow, I could actually stay and preach right there. I, 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 but I, I know I want to get through this lesson here, but that's, that's a whole revelation. If you can get that revelation that you can overcome Satan and, and he, he has no power in your life, Talk about your Christian walk taking a whole nother perspective, and it can go to a whole nother 50 levels. Now, the next passage is key to understanding Revelation. After verse 10 declares glory to him that sits on the throne, for the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Then verse 12 says, Hey, therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell therein. Now, this is after Satan, the war in heaven takes place, Satan's cast down. Rejoice you that are in heaven, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devils come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted who? This is why it's important to understand verse 1 through 5 in Revelation 12. The Bible says he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. This is Revelation 12, uh, 12 through 13. So who's the woman that brought forth the man-child? The woman with 12 stars around her head? That's Israel. Who was the man-child? Jesus, that Israel that came forth from Israel. She brought us the Messiah. So then when you get later on down here in the chapter, you can understand the whole thing when you're trying to teach this or you're just simply wanting to understand more about Bible prophecy. So when Satan is confined, banished from heaven, 
no more access to heaven, confined to the earth, that will be the catalyst that would launch us into the great tribulation against Israel and God's people. This is going to be the church as well because the Bible says that later on in the chapter, and we'll, if we have time, we'll get there, that he persecuted the woman, but also those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But we'll get there in just a moment. Now, one thing we need to understand is that the Great Tribulation, again, Revelation 12, we're going through the chapter. The Great Tribulation is the wrath of Satan. That's why you need to understand the wrath of, uh, or the, the war in heaven. And he's banished to the earth for three and a half years. And the Bible says he comes down having great wrath. Many people teach the Great Tribulation is the wrath of God. Right? Have you ever heard about that? We're not appointed unto the wrath of God. Well, that's right. Christians are not appointed unto the wrath of God. But the Great Tribulation is not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is Revelation 16, the vials of the wrath of God that are poured out at the end of the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation itself is the wrath of Satan. However, Revelation 12, 12 clearly shows us the Great Tribulation is the wrath of Satan. Satan comes down to the earth having great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. Satan will be confined to the earth, knowing he has only what? Three and a half years. It tells us right there. Time, times, half a time. Early on in the chapter, it says 1260 days. And he will do his best to wreak havoc among God's most treasured creation, the human race. Now, that's why it's nice to understand Job, right? Got nothing. Satan can't do anything to you unless God would take down the hedge of protection. Satan persecutes the nation of Israel at this point. Satan's going to persecute the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And we're already seeing the rapid rise of anti-Semitism throughout the world today. However, Revelation 12, 14 says Israel proper is going to have protection from Satan and his world governing body. And so we'll get to uh, Revelation 12, 14 on the other side of the break here. But it's important to understand, again, if you're looking for the war in heaven and answers to that, if you understand the entire chapter of Revelation 12, it helps to answer as many questions as you go down through there. And also, again, this is one of the third accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. Endtime is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with Endtime to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. 
Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Revelation 12, 14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. Who's the serpent? The dragon, Satan. Notice that Israel will flee into her place. Where is Israel's place today? I mean, there are all kinds of theories. One theory says that the Jews will flee into Petra which is in southern Jordan. Many believe that they will go there to hide. However, the only people who believe that theory is, is, are those people that have never been to Petra, right? I mean, I've been there and it's very small. I mean, approximately, what, 1,000 tourists who visit there every day. I mean, it's, it's only a maximum population of about 800 people. And there are close to 500,000 plus Jews living out in the West Bank area, including East Jerusalem. I think there's, uh, so I mean, there's, there's several hundred thousand out there. So it used, to be, uh, it used to be a marvelous fortress back in the biblical times. However, today, that would be a death sentence, a trap, because there are rock walls on every side about 300 feet high. And at times, you can almost touch, stand there and touch each, both of the walls going up in this big pathway that goes down to Petra, one bomb in the middle of that place would kill everybody there. That would be a death sentence to run down there. And the entrance to Petra Petra is called Wadi, which is about a mile and a half long. And at some points, again, it, it seems like you could almost touch both walls. I mean, it's only like 12 feet wide. And so, I mean, you could block almost the whole thing just standing there with your arms out. A handful of men could withstand an entire army back in the day because they could simply just bottle them up and just pick them off as they attempted to pass through this real little short area. Israel's place is not going to be Petra in the end time. There's no scriptural basis for that belief whatsoever. But Israel's place today is the promised land. I mean, where's Israel's place then, right? It's found in Genesis 15, 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, and he said, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. God made a covenant with Abraham that the land on which he dwelled would be his and his descendants after him forever. Abraham was in Israel at that time, and he was in the area of Beersheba, which is about 40 miles south of Jerusalem. And this is Israel's place. It is Israel's promised land. What did the Bible mean when it said the woman would be given two wings of a great eagle? Well, of course, there is one nation on earth today who's a recognized symbol, a major nation, that is the eagle. That nation happens to be Israel's very best friend. The United States has used its military might to protect Israel from her enemies And it's also repeatedly used its veto power, the UN Security Council veto power, to protect Israel from the hatred of the United Nations since the 1970s. So the Antichrist will make war against Israel 
but he's also going to make war against the saints. Now, what does this phrase, a time, time, and half a times mean? Well, it's used several times in Scripture. A time is one year, times is two years, half a times, half a year. Daniel 7.25 states that the Antichrist will make war against the saints for time, times, and half a time, until the Ancient of Days has come. And it's a picture of the Great Tribulation and the three and one half years right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. How do we know it's three and one half years? Because the exact same prophecy is given in Revelation 13.5, which says the Antichrist will have power to continue 42 months. So instead of using time times and half a time or 1260 days, Revelation 13.5 says 42 months. And Revelation 13.7 says that he makes war against the saints, overcomes them during that time period. So this is absolute proof. The Great Tribulation is 42 months or three and one half years. And the saints will be involved in that. Now, Satan attempts to destroy Israel. Right, I mean, Satan is going to attempt to destroy Israel according to Revelation 12.15. It says, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now, you've got to understand that this chapter is written in symbolic language. So what do the waters symbolize? Well, go to uh, Revelation 17, 15. It reveals what the waters mean. uh, John said, and he says unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So in Revelation 17 prophecy, the waters represent a multitude of people. So it appears to mean the same thing in Revelation 12, 15. The Bible says that God will fight for Jerusalem, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. And this is referring to the time of the Battle of Armageddon, which is at the end of the Great Tribulation. Zechariah 14.2 says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So these prophecies will be fulfilled at the end of this three and one half year period. Of course, the Bible talks about a great earthquake, right? It's all through the book of Revelation, this great earthquake that's coming. Revelation 12.16 It tells us what will happen when Satan comes down against Israel like a flood and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And, you know, could the earth opening up refer to the earthquake prophesied in Revelation 11, 13? It says, In that same hour was there a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain men 7,000 and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven. The same earthquake is prophesied in Zechariah 14.4. It says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and the west, And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove towards the north and the south. 
Could this be the earth opening up to help Israel at that point? At the Battle of Armageddon, when it looks like Israel is about to be wiped out before the superior firepower of the world-governing armies? Could this be the earthquake in which 7,000 die? Certainly seems to be a very strong possibility, doesn't it? And then Satan's war against Jews and two Christians. That's what this is going to result in. Revelation 12, 17. Now here we are at the end of chapter 12. And it says, and the dragon was wroth. He has, remember the Bible says he comes down having great wrath. He was wroth with the woman, Israel. But then he went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not the Jews, right? They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. I was listening to somebody the other night uh, talk about who the, the... He was a Jewish man, and he was saying that they believed... They didn't even believe Jesus was a prophet. That they be, he believed Jesus was a Roman dissenter. That was, or was a, um, a, 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 an individual who was a Roman uh, re- rebellion against the Roman, was trying to lead a rebellion against the Romans and that they put him to death. That was his, and that was who he believed Jesus Christ was. So the Bible says that they went to make war with the remnant, with the woman and the remnant of her seed, those that, have the, that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the church, folks. Satan will make war against two entities, Israel and true Christians. And I want to make sure <coughs> that we know it's, it's true Christians on the earth. There will, be, there will be people that consider themselves Christians in the end time, but are not teaching the full truth. That's why it's of utmost importance that you become a part of a true Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Remember, the Bible says that there will be some that stand before God someday and say, hey, didn't we do many might, mighty, great, wonderful works? We cast out demons in your name. We did many things in your name. But he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't even know you. So you've got to become a member of a true Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Now, every Jewish person on earth should, should either get to Israel or to the United States if they can. You say, man, that's a pretty drastic, bold statement. Yeah, it is. However, this stuff is going to happen. This stuff is prophesied as much as all the prophecies, every messianic prophecy that came to pass and all the other prophecies that have come to pass up to this point. This prophecy is going to happen. That's why End Time Ministries is very uh, involved in the Jewish agency and we give money to them to help bring, make Jews from these oppressive areas around the world make Aliyah back to Israel. Because there are places where Jews are getting horribly persecuted as we speak. So we get with the Jewish agency and they, they know where these people are being persecuted already. And they will call End Time Ministries and say, hey, there's a place over here in this country. There's a place in that one. We send them money and they help get those Jews back. Well, it's going to be much worse during this time, this three and a half years I'm talking about. So End Time Ministries is going to be, work, be working directly with the Jewish agency to help bring Jews back from around the world to try to save them. 
You know, the Bible does teach there is another Jewish Holocaust coming. But there are places of safety for all who will heed the warning. True Christians will also bear the brunt of the Great Tribulation. I mean, most people who call themselves Christians, they will, there are many will compromise and follow the false prophet into the, an alliance with the Antichrist. You can see people today already forming an alliance with this world religious system and all these different interfaith movements. True Christians will hold fast and not join the one world religion of the false prophet, but they will stay true to Jesus Christ until he returns. Very, very important. You say, well, how are we going to know? You are, you, you've got to seek out the truth, and you've got to know the Word of God, and you've got to make sure that you become a part of true Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. If your church is moving into the arms of this interfaith movement and uh, a, in, uh, religious individuals that are advocating for world government and all these different things, I would steer, steer clear of that. I would not be a part of that in the end time. Because though, the, the, all that stuff's going to be judged by God. We've got to make sure that we... The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, Right? So that's why End Time Ministries, if you're looking for a good, true, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, contact myself or Doug Norvell at End Time Ministries. drobbins at endtime.com, dnorvell at endtime.com. We've got a giant database of churches that I know exactly what they teach. And we can find you a church because you don't want to be a part of the wrong church in the end time. It's of utmost importance. So... Thank you for joining me today and the war in heaven. It's very detailed, I know, but it's a future war that will happen three and a half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.